So let me ask you a very important question. Which Jesus do you believe in? And you might say, well, I only thought there was one. Oh, no, there's, there's many Jesuses out there, and I'm not talking about Jesus, your neighbor down the street. I'm talking about people that have this idea of, of who Jesus really is. For example, there's the Muslim Jesus. According to Islam, Jesus, their Jesus, was born of a virgin, but he's not the Son of God. The Muslim Jesus did not die on a cross to pay the, penal, pay for the penalty for our sins. The Muslim Jesus, since he didn't die on the cross, he certainly wasn't resurrected from the dead. The Muslim Jesus is a lesser prophet than Muhammad. Is that the Jesus that you believe in? Or maybe it's the Mormon Jesus. This Jesus is the Jesus who many years and a long time ago in, in heaven won a contest against his spirit brother Satan when it was trying to be decided who would become flesh. And this Jesus won that contest. And when that Jesus became flesh, he was the physical son of a sexual union between God the Father and Mary. Is that the Jesus that you believe in, the Mormon Jesus? Or maybe it's the Jehovah's Witness Jesus. This is a Jesus who was created by God. The Jehovah's Witness Jesus is not co-equal with God. Is that the Jesus that you believe in? Or maybe you believe in the Jesus that we find in the book called The Secret. This Jesus is not a Jesus who calls his followers to deny themselves, but rather tells his followers to create perfect health and wealth by imagining it to be true. At the core of the secret is pantheism. All is one and all is divine. And so the Jesus of the secret is no greater or less than Buddha or Plato or Beethoven or Einstein or you because all of these according to the secret, are divine. Is that the Jesus you believe in? Or maybe you believe in the Hollywood Jesus. The Hollywood Jesus is nothing more than a curse word. He's someone to blaspheme and mock. The Hollywood Jesus certainly isn't going to judge people for their sins, or at least they hope not, because they'll have a lot of answering to do. Is that the Jesus that you believe in? Or maybe you believe in what I would call the Burger King Jesus. Years ago, Burger King had a slogan, have it your way. You remember that? Whatever you want the Burger King Jesus to be for you, he will be that for you. Whatever you want him to do for you, he will do that for you. You just pick and choose the parts of the real Jesus that you want in your Jesus, and you can have it your way. And before you know it, you have made this Jesus in your own image. The advantage of the Burger King Jesus is that you get to keep the high position that you want, and that Jesus is subservient to you. Is that the Jesus that you believe in? Or maybe none of these is the true Jesus. Maybe none of these is truly worthy of our worship and devotion. The identity of Jesus, who you understand Jesus to be is essential to your eternal 
destiny. If you get this issue wrong, you might not make it into heaven. You might say, oh, well, pastor, aren't you just over-speaking here? You know, wouldn't, wouldn't God forgive me if I made an honest mistake about who Jesus is? Well, here's what I, what I would reply to that. God forgives honest mistakes, but worshiping a completely different Jesus than the true Jesus is not simply an honest mistake, especially after you learn the identity of the true Jesus, which you're about to do today. You see, misunderstanding who Jesus is would be akin to marrying Becky, but spending all of your life and devoting all of your life to Mary Lou. That's not an honest mistake. That is a deliberate choice, and one that Becky would hold you accountable for. So you need to get the identity of Jesus right because it is essential to your eternal destiny. And if we want to understand who Jesus is, we really need to go back and understand who God is. In Exodus chapter 3, Exodus chapter 3, Moses is minding his own business, shepherding his father-in-law's sheep, when he comes across a bush that is burning, but it's not burning up. Very curious. And you know the story. God calls to him from the burning bush. And God uh, tells Moses to take off his shoes, his sandals, because he's on holy ground. And then God tells Moses something very important. He says, Moses, I'm the same God that appeared to Abraham and to Isaac and Jacob. I'm the God of Abraham some 400 years before, and Isaac and Jacob. And this God tells Moses from the burning bush to go back to Egypt and to bring Israel out of slavery. And here's what Moses said to God in verse 13 of Exodus 3. Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And now they may say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And God said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Verse 15. 15, God furthermore said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name to all generations. Listen very carefully. God may have a lot of different titles, and He does. All throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, God has called many things, the Most High God. He's called the Ancient of Days. He's called the Lord of Hosts and a number of other titles. But there is one name of God. God's name for all eternity is I Am. The Hebrew word is Yahweh. The Lord revealed this to Moses. 
And the Lord would soon make a promise to Moses. In Exodus chapter 23, verse 20, this is what the Lord says to Moses. Behold, I am going to send an angel before you to guard you along the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Be on your guard before him and obey his, the angel's voice. Do not be rebellious toward him, for he will not pardon your transgression, since my name is in him. Question. How could the unique, the one and only, the holy name of the eternal God that is his and his alone, how could that name be given to an angel? What kind of angel, by the way, has authority to pardon sins or to not pardon sins? What's going on here? Well, this was no ordinary angel, as if angels could be called ordinary at all. This was a special angel called the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord. Just a quick little history. In Genesis 22, you don't have to turn there, but the angel of the Lord stopped Abraham from sacrificing his son Isaac. And he said, this is what the angel of the Lord said, For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Why does the angel of the Lord speak of God as a separate person, yet also refers to himself as the one that Abraham was sacrificing to. How could this be? In Exodus chapter 3, verse 2, the burning bush experience. Here's what we read in Exodus 3, 2. The angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a blazing fire from the midst of the bush. That was the angel of the Lord in the midst of the bush. But four verses later in verse 6, the angel says to Moses, I am the God of your father. How can this be? How can the angel of the Lord also be God himself? Over and over again in the Hebrew scriptures, we see the angel of the Lord having attributes that only belong to God or sometimes even claiming that he is God. How can the angel of the Lord also be the Lord? Is it possible that we're dealing with two separate persons that are both Yahweh, the Lord? And then we come to Daniel 7. In Daniel 7, verses 9 and 10, I'm going to read these two verses, and I want you to... Answer this question in your own mind. Here's the question. Who is the person that is called the Ancient of Days in these verses? Daniel 7, verses 9 and 10. I kept looking until thrones were set up, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His vesture was like white snow, like the hair of his head, like pure wool. And... His throne was ablaze with flames. Its wheels were burning fire. 
A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him, and myriads upon myriads were standing before him. The court sat and the books were open. Well, obviously, the Ancient of Days is God. It is the Lord. It is Yahweh. Keep that in mind. Now, I want you to listen to these verses all in the Hebrew Scriptures, that talk about someone that rides the clouds. And I want you to tell me who the person is that rides the clouds. And just listen to these Scriptures. Deuteronomy 33, 26. There is none like the God of Jeshurun who rides the heavens to your help and through the skies in His majesty. Psalm 68. Verses 32 and 33. Sing to God, O kingdoms of the earth. Sing praises to the Lord, to Him who rides upon the highest heavens, which are from ancient times. Behold, He speaks forth with His voice, a mighty voice. Psalm 104, verses 1 through 3. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God. This, in this verse, by the way, it's using the term Yahweh. Bless Yahweh, O my soul. O Yahweh, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as a cloak, stretching out heaven like a tent curtain. He lays the beams of his upper chambers in the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. Isaiah 19, verse 1. Behold the Lord, that's Yahweh again. Behold, Yahweh is riding on a swift cloud and is about to come to Egypt. The idols of Egypt will tremble at his presence, and the heart of the Egyptians will melt within them. Okay, did you get that? The one who rides the clouds is obviously Yahweh. In the Ancient of Days, in Daniel chapter 7, verse 9, who sits on the throne is obviously Yahweh. Then what do we do with Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14? Just a few verses later. Because in these verses, there's someone other than the Ancient of Days who's riding the clouds. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. We read, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days. And was presented before him. Verse 14 continues. And to him, the Son of Man, to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. That all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him, the Son of Man. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. If... Only Yahweh rides the clouds. And if the Ancient of Days is that is seated on the throne is Yahweh, then who is riding the clouds approaching the Ancient of Days on the throne? This was a question that Jewish rabbis and theologians at the time of Jesus wrestled over. They debated this question. And before, this was before Jesus ever arrived on the scene. A Jewish doctrine was developed 
based on these scriptures that said that there are at least two powers of heaven. There were two persons who could both claim the name Yahweh. And even though this doctrine was not adopted by all Jewish rabbis and theologians at the time, it was not considered to be heretical or a violation of monotheism. Because there is only one Yahweh, but we tend to see that there are two persons here at work who are both Yahweh. And so it wasn't considered heretical, after all. Just look at the evidence that I presented to you. And we're going to come back to this idea in just a moment. But for now, just understand that a good number of Orthodox Jews of Jesus' day believed that Daniel 7 taught not only was Yahweh the Ancient of Days on His throne, but also that Yahweh, the Son of Man, rode the clouds of heaven, was presented before the Ancient of Days, received from the Ancient of Days dominion, glory, and a kingdom, and that all peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve Him, the Son of Man. And that His dominion, the Son of Man's dominion, would be an everlasting dominion which would not pass away, and His kingdom would be one which was would never be destroyed. So who could this Son of Man, this second Yahweh figure, be? And as the Jews of Jesus' day debated these things, there came a time when Jesus made his way into the temple. And we read about this encounter in John chapter 8. And in John chapter 8, I'll give you a little bit of a summary before we come back and read it. In more detail, in John chapter 8, Jesus gets into a discussion with the Pharisees, some of the rabbis there, about his relationship to God the Father. They're having a discussion about Jesus' relationship to God the Father. And if it wasn't already an argument, it was about to turn into one. The Pharisees are getting increasingly bent out of shape at Jesus. But why? Well, we have a clue in John chapter 8, verse 20. And if you were to read this whole chapter, you might conclude that John 8, 20 is the least important verse in the whole chapter. But it's a clue. In John chapter 8, verse 20 says, These words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. You see what John is doing when he's writing this. He's telling us the location of the argument between the Pharisees and Jesus. Why? Because... They've had this discussion before. And what we need to do is go back into John's gospel and see what else happened when Jesus came into the temple. What other discussions did he and the Pharisees have? Episode number one. Jesus cleanses the temple. In John chapter 2, verses 13 through 16, this is what we read. This is fairly early on. In Jesus' ministry, by the way, he cleanses the temple a second time later. But early on, this is what we read. John chapter 2, verse 13. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves and money changers seated at their tables. And he made a scourge of cords and drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And to those who were selling the doves, he said, Take these things away. 
Stop making my father's house a place of business. Jesus, from his first time in the temple as an adult, as far as we know, defended his father's honor. No one else at the temple even had a notion that their actions might offend God. Why? Because nobody else in the temple had the kind of relationship that Jesus had with God. For Jesus, God was his father. Episode 2. Jesus goes back into the temple in John chapter 5. And he heals a, a man who is by the temple. This is what we read in John chapter 5 verse 1. After these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porticos. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the movement of the waters. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after stirring up the stirring up of the water, stepped in, was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. A man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, he said to him, Do you wish to get well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up. Pick up your pallet and walk. Immediately, the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. Now, it was the Sabbath on that day. So the Jews were saying to the man who was cured, it is the Sabbath. I'm sure they talk that way too. <laughs> and it is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. But he answered them, He who made me well was the one who said to me, Pick up your pallet and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Pick up your pallet and walk? But the man who was healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. The man went away, and he told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now. And I myself am working. Episode 2. Jesus essentially says, I have a special relationship with the Father. And God the Father is at work in healing this man. And he did it through me. 
And if God says that it's okay for the man to be healed on the Sabbath and to pick up his pallet and walk, who are you to say otherwise? This is a healing from the Father. The Father's working, and so am I. We continue in this chapter. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but also calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. Therefore Jesus answered and, said, and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all the things that He Himself is doing. And the Father will show Him greater works than these so that you will marvel. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom He Wishes, And we know that would happen later in John 11 with Lazarus. For not even the Father judges anyone. What an amazing statement. Jesus is saying the Father doesn't even, he doesn't judge. The Father does not judge anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son. So that all will honor the Son even as they honor the Father who sent Him. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Verse 24, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, He who hears my word and believes Him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment but is passed out of death into life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in Himself, even so He gave to the Son also to have life in Himself. And He gave Him authority to execute judgment because He is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. And those who did good deeds, they'll go to a resurrection of life. And those who committed the evil will go to a resurrection of judgment. Jesus said in verse 30, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies of me, and I know that the testimony he gives about me is true. Jesus said, you have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. But the testimony which I receive is not from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. 
He, John the Baptist, was the lamp that was burning and shining, and you were willing to rejoice for a little while in this light. But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John. For the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do, testify about me, that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me, he has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. You do not have his word abiding in you, you, for you do not believe him who he sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is the scriptures that testify about me. And you were unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. I do not receive glory from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another person comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another? And you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God. Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe Moses' writings, how will you believe my words? Episode 3, John chapter 7, the Feast of Booths. Verse 14, Now when it was now the midst of the feast, Jesus went up to the temple and began to teach. The Jews were then, then were astonished, saying, How has this man become learned, having never been educated? So Jesus answered them and said, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of my teaching, whether it is from God or whether I speak from myself. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Did not Moses give you the law and let... Yet none of you carries out the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, You have a demon. Who seeks to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one thing. I did one deed. I healed one guy on the Sabbath. I did one thing. And you all marvel. For this reason, Moses has given you circumcision, not because it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And on the Sabbath, you circumcise a man. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses will not be broken, are you angry with me because I made an entire man well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. So some of the people of Jerusalem were saying, Is this not the man whom they are seeking to kill? Look, he's speaking publicly, and they are saying nothing to him. The rulers do not really know that this is the Christ, do they? However, we know where this man is from, but wherever the Christ may uh, may come, no one knows where he is from. Then Jesus cried out 
in the temple, teaching and saying, You both know me and know where I am from, and I have not come of, of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. Verse 30, so they were seeking to seize him, and no man laid his hand on him because his hour had not yet come. But many of the crowd believed in him. And they were saying, when, when the Christ comes, he will not perform more signs than, than those which this man has, will he? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering about these, th these things about him. And the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to seize him. Therefore Jesus said, for a little while longer, I am with you. Then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. And then there's episode 4 in John 8. In John 8, verse 12, Jesus said, and he's in the temple again. He said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I testify about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from, and I know where I'm going. But you do not know where I came from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I'm not judging anyone. But even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone in it, but I and the Father who sent me. Even in your laws, it has been written that the testimony of two men is true. I am he who testifies about myself. And the Father who sent me testifies about me. So they were saying to him, Where is your Father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Verse 21, Then Jesus said to them again, I go away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews were saying, surely he will not kill himself, will he? Since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. And Jesus was saying to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you, that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. The verse on the screen says, unless you believe that I am he, but the word he does not appear in the original text. Jesus literally said, unless you believe that I am, you will die. In your sins. 
Verse 24. Verse 25, actually. So they were saying to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, What have I been saying to you from the beginning? I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true. And the things which I heard from him, these things I speak to the world. They did not realize that he had been speaking to them about the Father. Verse 28, So Jesus said, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am. And I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak the things as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me, and he has not left me alone. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As Jesus spoke these things, many came to believe him. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants. We've never been a slave to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your father. Verse 39, they answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. They said to him, we are not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I'm saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. For he, the devil, is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason you do not hear them because you are not of God. The Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father and you dishonor me. But I do not seek my glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died. 
and the prophets also. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see, he will never taste of death. Surely, you are not greater than our father Abraham, who died. The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. And you have not come to know him, but I know him. And I say that I, and if I say that I do not know him, I will be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You're not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Before Abraham was born, I am. Jesus is the Yahweh of the Hebrew Scriptures. This is who he claimed to be. He is the second power of heaven. He is the Son of Man who rides the clouds, whom the Ancient of Days will give a kingdom and a glory and dominion that will never be lessened. It will never come to an end. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to this Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible. But I cannot afford to be unclear in my language when it comes to making the most important decision of your life. Sometimes, like the song that we sang earlier, we hear of people saying that they've asked Jesus to come into their heart. This is terminology that you don't find in the New Testament. Jesus coming into my heart. Asking someone into your heart might imply nothing more than you have special feelings for that person. Or it might imply that there's room in your heart for Jesus alongside your love for your spouse or your love for your kids or your love for NASCAR or whatever else. You know, I hope that you do have special feelings for Jesus. And I hope that you do have room in your heart for him. But I can say those things about my dogs. that I have a place in my heart for my dogs, that I have special feelings for my dogs. And the great I am Yahweh of the universe deserves a better response than one that you might give your dog. So I don't want to be unclear that I'm doing more than simply asking for you to make a place in your heart for Jesus. Sometimes we hear about people talking about accepting Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. This is better terminology than 
letting Jesus come into your heart, but it's still not very clear. Because the word accepting Jesus, it implies that you are above him. It implies that you're in the judgment seat as if to determine his fate. Should I accept Jesus? Is he worthy of my acceptance? Hmm. Accept Jesus. You ought to be concerned whether he accepts you. Because the great I am, Yahweh God of the universe, will not be diminished in the least if you choose not to accept him. But if he chooses not to accept you, you will be greatly affected and permanently. One of the terms the Bible uses to talk about us responding to Jesus is the word receive. To receive Jesus. And this is the best understanding. To receive Jesus implies that you understand who He is. That Jesus is the eternal I am Yahweh God of the universe. You understand that this Jesus became flesh. It also implies that you understand what Jesus did. You understand that Jesus, this Jesus, the great I Am who became flesh, He died on a cross to pay for your sins, and that He rose from the grave to give you eternal life, and that He ascended to heaven as Lord over all. And so you understand what He did. And to receive Jesus also implies that you understand his invitation to you. That it is Jesus who says, follow me, and not the reverse. When you receive Jesus into your life, you're not so much saying to Jesus, all right, Jesus, come along, come along into my life, follow me as I live my life. No, 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 no. When you receive Jesus, he says to you, Follow me, and your will becomes subservient to his. Because that is the response, and the only response worthy of the great I am. And that's who Jesus is. So knowing who Jesus is, knowing what he's done, and knowing his invitation to you means that you bend your will to his and you follow him are you ready today to receive him? Do you believe in the Jesus of the Bible? And will you follow him today? This is the invitation to you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for this journey through your scriptures to truly understand your nature and the nature of your Son. And Father, there are so many confusing voices out there that want to distort who Jesus truly is or what he requires of us. So Lord, let us think with clarity, understand the truth of your word, that when we give our lives to Jesus, we are devoting ourselves to following the eternal God of all time, the God of the universe who has made flesh for our benefit. We thank you, Father, for allowing us, unworthy sinners, every last one of us, to 
have an opportunity to be a part of your family. And so, Father, the best we know how, we say yes to Jesus. We receive him this day. Help us to follow him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.